Welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Be sure to check out The Contrarians on iTunes, where you can rate, review, and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud, and don't forget about our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Be sure to keep up with the pretentious ramblings of Alex and Julio on Twitter, at JamesAlexMattis, and at Ovnio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Time for the podcast. Hello and welcome back to The Contrarians. Uh, we are right, you're wrong, you know the deal at this point. We are here for our second WrestleMania bonus episode in the history of our podcast here. Last year we traveled back to the turn of the millennium and David Arquette was crowned a new world heavyweight champion, something that will always stick to his name. Today we're here to join uh, the run of an entire wrestling company as we are tackling our first documentary. My name, of course, is Alex, joined, as always, by my buddy Julio. Julio, how are you doing this evening? I'm I'm pretty confused. I don't know what we just watched, Alex. <laughs> hopefully, you can you can explain to me what just happened over the last seventy minutes. Well, hopefully, I can try to. Uh, but we are here today. I did give Julio his pick of the litter in terms of what we were going to review for the WrestleMania bonus. It was between, uh, or it was down to, I should say, Beyond the Mat, Wrestling with Shadows, Glow, and there's one other one. I can't remember what it was, but. Whatever the case is, you chose Glow, uh, the the story of the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Uh, once more, our first documentary that we had ever done. Now, first impressions, you did say you were familiar, vaguely familiar with Glow going into this, or you remember it from a days gone by of your youth? Yes, I, I mean, I remember it playing at some point in Peru in Spanish. Okay. Translates well because violence plays in. <laughs> it's a universal language. Exactly. A guy getting hit in the groin is funny in any language. Yes. Women pulling their hair. You get it. <laughs> you need subtitles. Uh, and then I actually remember this documentary playing at AFF a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I just, I guess, I picked it also because it's it was the one I thought it was going to be the one documentary out of the ones that you gave me to choose from that would uh just focus on women in a positive way okay and i was wrong (laughs) it is a bit of uh it's a mysterious story and kind of a confusing one as it's basically the tale of this group of old hollywood men and producers and directors that just take advantage of this large cast of young women right and the documentary like celebrates this like it's telling you the story as if it's this inspirational story and it's really more like a horror psycho thriller mm-hmm. of these women that were kind of brainwashed into thinking that they were doing uh something cool when really it was just they were living out like the fantasy of this 13 year old guy um <laughs> What's his name? I mean, I don't want to jump ahead, but uh, McLean? Is that like the... Uh, David McLean? Yeah, yeah. The guy that looks like poor man's Colin Hanks. Who declined to be interviewed for the purposes yeah, of Yeah, if that doesn't say guilty, like, <laughs> I don't know what else would. Um, so this is uh, about six years old. This was released in 2011. Now, like many wrestling documentaries, there's not too many ones that are very highly publicized. I think Beyond the Mat would be the one with the largest amount of reviews to find. But there is a lone review E on Rotten Tomatoes leaving this movie at a, a 100%. So much like modern times, the yes. go- gorgeous ladies our, of wrestling. Our second 100% uh, tomato meter movie. Uh, and the one review is from Christopher Long, 
from Movie Metropolis, who says, Some of the women were talented athletes, but the wrestling was never as important as the wrestlers themselves. I think he just drank the Kool-Aid, but what do you think, Alex? Uh, I think he agrees with the uh, synopsis of this film in that it was basically... um, they wanted this to kind of be Saturday Night Live with intermittent bouts of violence. They had these characters that were they wanted to establish, so when they came on the screen, you would get happy, have these little segments of interwoven comedy, um, one-liners, things of that nature. Uh, but it was never about the wrestling, as is evidenced by the fact that it was... Uh, the beginning of it was it was a pilot that these, this David McLean guy was putting together, and wrestling just happened to be, you know it was inconsequential to what the performers were capable of. I mean, this guy, I don't want to just focus on him entirely, but really because he's the, this is his brainchild, right? And he, he really looks like a little kid. Like I thought, because there's a moment where they show like a skit mm-hmm. where they're like, oh, his office is like a, a, a payphone like booth, yeah. right? And I thought that it was an actor playing him. And I was like, oh, they're making fun of him. They're making like some... Like, he looks like really- uh, Liz Lemon's agent on 30 Rock. <laughs> Just minus the glasses. Yeah, he. but then you told me, no, that's that's the real guy. Yeah. It, and it is. And then they go on to explain that, yeah, this was, like, he was really excited. And it was, like, him who, like, really spearheaded this whole project and whatever. And I was like, okay, is this just, like, some guy that wanted to see some hot women fighting in the ring? In very short, skimpy outfits. Exactly. and, and Big actually, hair, glitter everywhere. Apparently he was bummed when he couldn't get, like, full creative control because he's, like fucking child so of course they needed to bring an adult to uh to actually produce the thing but mm-hmm. uh but yeah I, I mean it's like a teenage fantasy mm-hmm. and that's uh that's where it starts that's 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 the very beginning so of course yeah the wrestling is inconsequential itself so it's kind of disrespectful to wrestling uh disrespectful to women and and also just kind of like disrespectful to the audience mm-hmm. because Especially now, like watching it now in the much more advanced social times of 2017. It's just, it's kind of like off-putting to see women like, you know, just performing for a crowd of just people that are like asking them to just debase themselves in the ring. Yeah. Well, we're in a much different time now where hashtag women's wrestling matters. Well, yeah. (laughs) But now it's classy. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So basically, they put together this pilot. The the okay, the genesis of Glow was again. Uh, David McLean had an idea for a television show where basically it was a variety hour that just had bouts of wrestling. So these actresses were all called, and you know the cast of characters that we get talking heads from fancy movie jargon for interviews uh, throughout the film are basically the ones that made the cut, the ones that would come on. That would go on to become known as the bigger ones, uh, Matilda the Hun, Mount Fiji, uh, Chainsaw, and Blade, and uh, Tina Ferrari. Um, so they all basically explained as they were just actresses that were trying to make it and got their agents were like, hey, this new show's casting, and they get there, and they're told, okay, you're going to be wrestling as well. Which, again, it kind of paints a sad picture of Hollywood at that point in time, too, all these actresses, you know, they have to basically risk their health to get any type of work in the city. Like a few of them talk about how like they showed up and they were like, oh yeah, it was like an audition for a kid's show. Did they get the thing confused? Or it's like a show from a kid or, <laughs> or a kid's show. But they, uh, yeah, they, they obviously, none of them had any experience except for like a couple of them, I guess, like Mountain Fiji had 
it was like an athletic Olympian. experience. Yeah. yeah. But uh, most of them, yeah, they just go in there and it's just, you know, the fact that all the interviews, when you see their names, they never use their real names. They just use their stage names. Mm-hmm. It just shows you how, like, dehumanized they were from the very beginning. They talk about how, like, they forced them to stay in character 24-7. Cafe, baby. It, it, yeah. That, so now they're, they're no longer. I mean, the show ended, like, 20 years ago. And they're still, like, just kind of scarred for that for that period of their time. It's imprinted time. on them. Yeah. That's, they, don't, they don't answer to, like, the real names. So those ones that actually stick around get stuck in training with the very insane Mondo Guerrero. Now, I know, Hulu, you don't have quite the vast uh, wrestling knowledge that I do um, to know who the Guerrero family is. They, they, What that guy was saying in the documentary is true. They're like one of the most famous families in wrestling history. Uh, but Mondo's quite insane. and uh... I, I could tell. <laughs> I, he doesn't get a lot of screen time, but like the mustache alone just tells you that this guy's... I wouldn't put him in charge of getting my kids in shape. No, and, and right away, like, you know, the whole thing is they're trying to say, okay, it's not wrestling, it's not like wrestling, but like a real grizzled wrestling trainer, the first thing that happens is someone laughs at him and he puts her to sleep. Yeah, they're all telling this story like like it's like all fun and games, and it's like, oh yeah, how cute was it when he like knocked one of the girls out? It's like, <laughs> and then no, he's like, is... ta- he's bragging about it. it's like, and I choked her unconscious, and then she started flopping around on the canvas like a fish. <laughs> and ever since then, they did everything I asked them to. That's creepy shit. So the wheels were set in motion, and they set base at the Riviera Hotel in Las Vegas. Which basically, if it doesn't give you insight to how carny this was going to be right off the bat, that's definitely it. Uh, yeah, Vegas. Uh, they they have... all had to move out there. They, yeah. They basically put them in their – not basically. They put them in, like, their own camp. They're like, this is where you're going to live. and The glow house. The glow house. The good girls are going to be over here and the bad girls are going to be over here. And they were explaining they would be fine for being out too late or partying, you know, mixing the heels and faces. These are adults. Yeah, they they are. But they basically were just, all right, you're going to live here and we're going to trot you out when we need to. Yeah, it's it, – but – Again, I don't think that it can be conveyed enough how how happy they are to recount these stories. They're all telling all this with smiles on their faces and just like, oh, this was like the best time of my life. When somebody, you know, the guys that peak at high school, like the, the high school athletes, and when mm-hmm. they tell you stories of like when they played the big game back then, like this is them right now. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the, the girls from GLOW, they're just telling you about how like how awesome it was that they were not allowed to stay out past 9 p.m. They're all Jennifer Goodwin and Big Love. Yes. <laughs> they, they all just, this is the right way. This is the path. This is what I'm supposed to do. And and who is who is uh, Bill Paxton? Mando Guerrero? Uh, no, no, it would be the director. Uh, uh, Matt Simba? Or yeah. C- Simba? C- Simba. <laughs> Matt Simba. They built him up like something big. We'll get to him momentarily here. Um, they do an interesting job of conveying what women's wrestling was at that time. And to be fair, uh, going back a few paces, we had mentioned that none of them were wrestlers. Matilda the Hun actually was a wrestler, a trained professional wrestler, but she just couldn't get work anywhere. Now, this part of the documentary is quite truthful in that at that point in time, women's wrestling was um, basically treated as a sideshow attraction. And the women that I'll show you before we record the second part of this, I'll show you a picture of Fabulous Moolah so you get an insight to like, 
what the looks were at that point in time. Well, I don't doubt that that all of the documentary is truthful. I just think that the 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 point of view is skewed. They're not brainwashing us, the audience. They already brainwashed. Right, right. It's just uh, you know the facts happen, and I believe the facts. Mm -hmm. I just the way that they're presenting the facts is a little weird. But what my point I'm getting at is here is with what little wrestling you've watched, which I think has been about four Summer Slams that you've come over here to watch with me for uh, my Hawaiian shirt party. Um, now, prior to this, it wasn't that the women were just trotted out in barely any clothing. Glow changed that forever. And wouldn't you think that would be a detriment to the females that want to get into this industry? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that goes without saying that... Uh, yeah, it, it kind of sucks. There's another moment where they are talking about how the the director would just demean them about their physique mm-hmm. uh, constantly, and then he tells one of the girls that her ass looks like a sack of potatoes. Yeah, dude, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> this is Trump's America before it was Trump's America. Yeah, um, what was the who directed the new Fantastic Four? Wasn't there a story that he was just constantly belittling and bullying Kate Mara on set? Really? Yeah. <laughs> Josh Strank? Yeah. Did you not hear anything about that? No. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I was reading about it. Okay, more prominent example, uh, Blue is the Warmest Color, that French dude who directed that, just constantly belittling and demeaning the two chicks involved. That's right. He directed the, the glow the, pilot. The, the two <laughs> the two chicks, like I don't know their names, are Leah Sadu and Adele X. Archopolis, <laughs> who are both pregnant now. They did. If they worked for Glow, they would be fined for playing for the other team, hanging out with the other ones. <laughs> so yeah, David McLean, who was the creator, the visionary behind all this. Now it basically got as far as it was going to go under his watch, which, like you said, was basically him just living out his thirteen-year-old fantasy. Yes, he didn't get past the the whole like let's gather a whole bunch of women, attractive <laughs> women, dress them in uh, skimpy clothing, put them in a wrestling match. By this step, point, step he two, was... step two, blank. Step three, profit. <laughs> step four, repeat. Yeah. At this point, he was just sitting in the auditorium, going, "Oh my god, it worked!" <laughs> so he walked into work one day, counting his baseball cards, eating bubble gum, and uh, he was informed that you know things were getting shifted up here. And they did bring in uh, Matt Simber, who legitimately had credentials as like a Hollywood producer, director, had worked um, alongside some pretty prominent names. He, however, was buddy buddies with the guy who owned the Riviera Hotel and Casino um, because, you know, this would become, and we'll talk about this later, um, this would become very commonplace for wrestling promotions to just run, to have a soundstage at a set venue and just run monthly shows. But obviously, you know, in this situation, the guy who runs the Riviera Hotel and Casino, you know, renting out a room ain't cheap, you know, in, in Vegas. So he wanted to make sure he was making a profit, not only uh, in-house, but on a, you know, biggest scale as he could. So bringing Matt Simber leads credence to television production, things of that nature. However, um, immediately, like, wipes David McLean out, which he just, you know, had to retreat. But also, as you were saying, Matt Simber just really cranked up the dial on uh, demeaning and mistreating these women and really turning this into a male shit show. Yeah, I think what went from being a sort of harmless, like, pillow fight kind of fantasy from McLean, uh, McLean? David McLean. McLean. McLean, like like diehard McLean. Yes. Oh well, okay. I, I won't forget ever again. <laughs> McLean, not from Die Hard. Uh yeah, what went from being like his harmless fantasy now became like serious business. And now these women were trapped there with this 
verbal abuser who would just like run them ragged twenty four seven. In a sense, it went kind of from Animal House to the Killer Inside Me. Yes. Um, at this point, though, what Matt Simber did well was he did uh, expand upon and really develop these characters for this television show. And not in the sense of like you would, uh, I would refer to characters on WWE programming today, but in more in a sense that you know they wanted to develop these television characters based around these women. To the surprise of no one, though, they were characters like angry housewives, and uh, there was a gypsy and an angry Russian lady. Um, so you have to at least it's almost admirable they didn't mask at all the intentions behind this. Well, I mean, here's the thing: it's just. It's just master manipulation, you know, because he he basically pushed them as far as he could without breaking them because they they still needed to have them there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like uh, I mean, there was a purpose behind it. I can see how uh, when when he's talking about how like, oh, well, we developed the characters based on their personalities. They just told him, okay, well, whatever you are, just make it bigger. And that's going to be your character. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that makes sense, you know, because he knows he's dealing with just these these fresh actresses, people that haven't done wrestling before. And so he needs to make it somewhat comfortable for them in some way, uh, you know, so that they can handle all the braiding and all the abusing that comes uh, uh, along with, with, with the job. So, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Uh, uh, it all kind of looks like a big party when you see it on the screen, when you see the end result. But mm -hmm. the documentary is kind of like trying to paint it like it was also a big party behind the scenes. Yeah. And it's not <laughs> like they're talking about how like they when they first show up to like start rehearsing, there's blood on the on the mat. Mm -hmm. You know they they get and it's just this really old gym, this, this really dirty, nasty uh, facility where they're training. It, it just it sounds really it, it sounds pretty dismal, and uh, it doesn't match what they're trying to, to tell you that that really happened there. You know, which mm -hmm. is like, oh, we're just having a lot of fun. We're just buddies, and we're having a blast. And then that came through in our performances uh, in and in the show. So, uh, I don't know. Like as far as the characters that they came up with, I mean, it's they're okay, but it, we just we just pick behind the curtain. So I can't buy any of it. Yeah, uh, you can't uh, suspend it. It's just like any type of wrestling. If you know what's going on, if you know good guy and bad guy are getting in the same car together that night and driving home, you know, you can't believe that they really want to kick each other's ass just like here, which is a whole different level of it. It's like you're saying you're having fun, but I know this guy's just berating you every day and breaking down what's wrong with your body. So I don't know how, you know, I feel like you're still just saying what he wants you to say 20 yeah, years later. They keep, you know, they tell the stories and they laugh and I keep waiting for the laugh to turn to like them crying. <laughs> <laughs> or for them just to look off camera and, was that good? <laughs> but, you know, like with any well-constructed, well-timed, uh, pieced uh, together act, plot, whatever have you, it does catch on as Glow really uh, starts to hit a peak of popularity in the late 80s. Um, they were featured on the Donahue show. They also showed a clip from Joan Rivers. Um, they were on, um, shit, what was the Jay Pritchett show? Uh, it's got Leela in it. Married with Children. Oh, uh, Jay Pritchett. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> magazine covers, things of that nature. They were really starting to catch on. They had Jackie Stallone manage one of their tag teams, which fortunately we stayed around until the end of the credits to see a pretty sweet Easter egg at the end of that. Uh, featuring Jackie Stallone, but 
it's kind of like the Ramones or any other really, um, you know, uh, dysfunctional group. If, you know, there's someone at the helm to put all the pieces into place, it'll still catch on eventually just because it's a well-orchestrated uh, product, a well-delivered product. Doesn't mean those involved have to be happy, though. Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, it, it, they, okay, so the business model worked, but behind the scenes, they're just destroying these women. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's about halfway through the through the documentary when you finally start getting, like, hints that, in, in present life, like not everything is rosy, mm-hmm. and uh, you start seeing that you know a lot of them are like on wheelchairs or like suffering injuries from their wrestling days. Yeah, of course it builds up to like the Mount Fiji, Mountain Fiji, Mount Fiji. She was Mountain Fiji, but they called her Mount Fiji for short. Yeah. It's kind of <laughs> well, like John Cena, short for Jonathan Cena. Uh, well, Mount I should have just said Mountain Cena. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there, there's this really, really like sad reveal uh, mm-hmm. when uh, when you get to the uh, Mount Fiji in present day thing because everybody you can kind of see the build up because everybody starts saying like really nice things about her and at first I thought it was gonna it's gonna turn out that she was dead yeah but no instead they cut to like a hospital bed and she's in like a nursing home and 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 then it's just like it's delivered with such like casual attitude that oh yeah she fucked up her knees and you know all that wrestling like really like made it really hard for her like life after glow was not so glamorous like no kidding it's like the camera lingers on her like on her on her bed like really suffering yeah and then and then it just they just start like revealing all the other things you know like the lady uh was it like the hun matilda Uh, the hun matilda the hun so all this time you've seen her like on a medium shot and then you finally see her like in a full shot mm-hmm. and she's in a wheelchair. She's in one of those like electric wheelchairs which she's yeah. just like moving around because she also like she lost like two toes and you know all this other stuff and uh, and then the girls start like recounting with big smile on their faces like all their like how they like fucked up their spines and like. <laughs> yeah, we and- get the um, – I wrote down the – wrestler's name Susie spirit uh who like broke her arm really bad yes yeah oh dude that was horrible it but but it's it's still like because i would respect the documentary a little more if this is when like if this was like the gotcha moment right where they built you up to this (laughs) yeah they they built you up to this but this is really horrible (laughs) and they pulled the rug from under you and now you're like oh my god and then the rest of the movie is the perils of glow (laughs) right but no, it's like they 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 throw all this at you for like five to ten minutes, and then we come back to like, yeah, but it was the best time of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so they run down, uh, yeah, Mount Fiji's built up, um, you know, from this and all of my recounts of uh, glows that Mount Fiji was like the big, the star, the John Cena, Hulk Hogan, what have you of the the, the show. So it's fitting that they kind of build to that. But, yeah, it's also really gutting when you see that she's kind of alone, doesn't really have much, and is kind of on her own. Which is also, like, how sheltered were these women that, you know, even now? Because this documentary is not that old. Mm -hmm. And numerous times, like, several of them, they just like, I wish I knew what happened to the others. It was like the Internet already existed by then. (laughs) You know, they all say, like, I wish I could, I could ask them how are they doing like how are the kids their families whatever you just have to google them <laughs> that's you know they're but but i just keep picturing uh like in uh the netflix show the uh 
with uh, Aaron from The Office? Uh, Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah, Kimmy Schmidt. You know how like they spend like all these years in the bunker, and then she comes out, and she has no idea how to like deal with technology. It's kind of like these things that were like in the glow bunker, and yeah. then they came out, and like <laughs> they don't know they don't know what's happening in the world anymore. So he's like, "Yo, MTV raps." So after all this, after all we've kind of been through on the path of this documentary, it does kind of lead to the uh, ever-question and quite quizzical fall of GLOW. It's not too often that wrestling promotions, and again, this wasn't really a wrestling promotion, but a television show even, just kind of folds out of nowhere when it's really picking up traction. And even in this documentary here, which I feel is kind of, it's not necessarily the shortcoming of the documentary, but also just, uh, it's more of the shortcoming of the story that we don't really have a clear-cut reason as to why it was folded. Come on, Alex. They took Alex, the money and ran. Come on. <laughs> come on. I mean, that is probably the most uh, uh, reprehensible thing about this documentary is how it just completely sidesteps addressing what's incredibly obvious, which is that the show got too big, these women suddenly got too much power and the men couldn't have it. <laughs> I mean, they were becoming super popular. Fair. They had, they could have done, it just, they just didn't know it because they were conditioned to not fight back, mm-hmm. to not think on their own, but they could have done anything at that point at the height of their popularity. And I think that the men saw that and they got afraid and they pulled the plug before, before the women turned the tables on them. So they still had the power in the end. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, you know how telling is it that the uh, that scene that they show that's all just silhouettes, like the two guys uh, that are talking. Who is it? Is it the director and the and the, the head writer? writer? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve the ref, <laughs> dude. That guy. It's like it's also like you know, it, it's such a transparent attempt of of painting men as oh, we're harmless. You know, because that guy is just so like such an emasculated version of. <laughs> uh, but yeah. but anyway, yeah, it's, it's like they're they're in silhouettes, like something shifty is going on, and they're like, "Well, it's the end of glow." Yeah. Uh, and then the, it just kind of it turns into the state of retrospect. They kind of cover that real quick, and then it's basically just reflecting upon what it was and what it meant to these women individually. And one of the characters, Little Egypt, basically, after the documentary had began it motivated her to schedule a a, basically put together a union from the cast of glow which uh looks like all the ones that were available there showed up it was a pretty packed house matt simber showed up as well and you know didn't seem too remorseful anything like that he just kind of showed up said hi and left it's just yeah he couldn't even be bothered to dress up he was just wearing a fucking stained velour track suit he shows up he he gets hugs with everybody, pictures with everybody, and then he leaves. Mm-hmm. And there's this really weird shot of like when he's leaving the hotel, the far away shot, and you see him just walk away into the distance. Is like who is he gonna abuse now? <laughs> <laughs> and then we're told that he uh, declined to be formally interviewed for the documentary. Yes, him and McLean. Come on, that just screams guilty. Mm-hmm. What are you hiding? So what the documentary does well, though, and, you know, kind of back to your point, is if it had ended just with glow folding, would have left that weird taste in your mouth. Whereas with this, at least it's enough of a distraction to let you think that the girls won in the end. But did they win, Alex? I mean, again, you're seeing the smiles there. but, but They had to organize this reunion for themselves. That's true. I guess they, they did gain, like, 
a modicum of independence because it wasn't like they were like the guys from the from the network putting it together for them. It was one of them. So I guess in that sense, maybe there's hope. I really but, wonder what David McLean was doing or what he's doing at all, generally. I mean, I can understand why he didn't want to be interviewed for it, but... He's just busy uh, just burning $100 bills. <laughs> With his next project. He's the ghostwriter for all of Rob Zombie's movies. <laughs> he's probably involved in the in the Netflix Glow project. That's what he's doing now. Dude, that took me too long to figure out what that actually was. It, it was annoying. It would be awesome if Mark Maron is playing uh, David McLean. Oh, dude, that would be great. Now, Maron is probably playing the director. Simber? Yeah. See, this is where, where it's weird, though, because it says it's the series is focused around the gorgeous ladies wrestling and will be set in the 80s. It's a comedy drama television series, but they don't have it's none of the characters. Like they don't have their names. Whatever. Fuck it. You'll have to hate watch it and, and then tell me about it. I, I don't know if I'd ever watch hate watch anything with Allison Brie in it. <laughs> and Mark Maron's cool. Uh, Kate Nash is in it too. So that's all good for me. I think I'm brave for real talk. Let's let's move this along to real talk and crack down on this duck. Real talk, Alex Mattis, which is, is it's exactly the same as Contreras Corner in this, <laughs> in this scenario. This is real WrestleMania bonus episode talk. Um, so, Glow, the story of the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, was officially released on June 23rd of 2012. And I think we were trying to discuss, I believe it was the 2011 AFF is when it premiered. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and... <laughs> Can't really put too much stock in this, but 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Now, that being said, I wasn't able to find a negative review of it elsewhere. Uh, directed by Brett Whitcomb, whose other films are... He's a documentarian. He hasn't done anything fiction or anything like that. Is it all about wrestling? Like no, all his, no, no. He, uh, his other ones sound pretty interesting. One is about, like, um, you know, like Chuck E. Cheese, the animatronic bands. Like that are on stage, like the uh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. one about like a guy who works on those, and then one about um, I, I believe it was a Texas State Fair, if not not the Texas State Fair, but a state fair basically where it follows these kids for one year prepping these animals to perform at like the state fair and stuff. So I think with this, it's more of just because this is a very very interesting small story, uh, more so for myself obviously because I love pro wrestling so much, but. Um, but it did win uh, the best documentary award at the uh, at Comic Con in 2012. So 
I wonder if anybody attended like any of the panels. <laughs> no, any of the glow ladies. Like, oh, if they showed up, do you like Q and A? Yeah. What's a Twitter? <laughs> um, so yeah, glow is. It's just a very fascinating story. I mean, just right off the bat, uh, a lot of what we said in the first portion in hashtag CC Contrarian's Corner. I mean, there's a lot of truth in that. Obviously, we just kind of turned it. We put a bit of sriracha on it and turned it up a, a dial or two. Um, there, yeah, I mean, I, I completely understand why. I mean, that's obviously that was a great time in their lives. I mean, <laughs> even yeah. with all the difficult conditions, you know, and then later, like the the terrible consequences of the that wrestling, mm-hmm. uh, you know, caused. I mean, it's still like obviously they were they were shining. Like most of them, I guess that was when they peaked. Yeah. Uh, so I completely understand why that's that's the golden years for them. There's a couple of them that address um, Godiva specifically, the thing of the rules and everything. It's like at the same time I was 24 being paid to live in Las Vegas and just, you know, like mm-hmm. party all the time, which, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting in that the McLean, uh, David McLean had that idea for it. Glow is this really weird like footnote asterisk, if you will, in like the pro wrestling history. Like I was kind of mentioning to you when we were watching it, uh, people really deep in the wrestling community, like the cretins I'm going to be surrounded by in Orlando next week. Uh, <laughs> they don't acknowledge glow. It's not like a th- real thing. It's not like a real part of wrestling history, but man, especially rewatching it this time. Cause this would be the second time I think I've watched it. Maybe the third, but the things that were lifted from glow by other wrestling promotions in the nineties, like, uh, like I was mentioning, um, Procuring a sound stage to run on regularly at a big venue like that. Like, people had like fucking gyms they ran out of every time, but like, uh, set up like that with a sponsor. Um, I mean, in the late 90s, early 2000s, the WWE pretty much just solely cast good looking people and then taught them how to wrestle. I mean, that that idea is there. Um, <laughs> and because they, they were true up until that point, women's wrestlers were not the, the they weren't the biggest lookers. Um, teaching wrestlers how to be characters. That's something that kind of got, that became very problematic as you could see with this, because you're not actually teaching them the fundamentals of how to wrestle. You're just like, (laughs) Hey, this is what you do. What do I do if I land on my head? Uh, Well, just figure it out. That type of thing. But uh, just yes. And it, yeah, exactly. So for reasons like that, I've always found glow very fascinating and also how much it did catch on and then kind of fall apart. Uh, Reason for that. I really feel like it was run more like, um, a TV show than um, a wrestling promotion, but still had some of the same carnyisms of the wrestling industry where the people in charge didn't really let the performers know how much money was being made. They didn't know how much they had to pay them, things like that. So I find it to be a pretty interesting story all the way around. Now we can kind of circle back around to that. Just kind of right out the gate, Julio, do you think it was a well-made documentary? Uh, I think so. I mean, you know, it like you mentioned in hashtag CC, like there is, a lack of detail about the end of the show, mm-hmm. which was a little frustrating, especially because the documentary opens with them. Like that's the hook, right? Like the cold open of the documentary is yeah. like, Oh, you know, this was like the highest rated, whatever. And then, and then it ended and you're like, oh, okay, so that's good. That's a big question. That's what we're going to learn yeah. here. How did it end? Why did it end? 
and you really don't get like, you get a couple of like half baked theories about things that could have caused it to end, but not a real uh uh reason. Uh I think part of it is just that of course the wrestlers are the ones that are being interviewed, but the people behind the scenes they don't really get to say much. Like they only get like the the head writer is the only one that actually sits down and does interviews. Yeah. Uh, but the yeah. writer's probably in the same boat. They probably didn't tell him much money. He, he was, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll just give you twenty bucks. They're like twenty bucks. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> but yeah, that that was that was one thing that kind of bothered me a little bit, or like there was a little bit of a letdown. The other thing, and it it kind of works toward the payoff anyway, but I. It, it's really kind of jarring when you they focus on uh, Mount Fiji, Mountain Fiji, uh, for a good stretch. We of can time. call her Mount at this point. We, we know her pretty <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, we watched the movie. Yeah, I, I, I've seen her highs and lows. So yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. When they they focus on Mount Fiji for a good stretch of time and just like the hardship of her modern life, her present day life, and it's the the documentary seems so bubbly up till then. Mm-hmm. And now you get, like I said, in the in, in hashtag CC, there's just like these lingering shots of her in pain, being miserable in this home. Yeah. And uh, it was just kind of, I don't want to say it felt like like they were exploiting her condition a little too much, but. Totally, it, it's a bit jarring. Yeah, it, it's kind of weird because, you know, if it had been a documentary about her, then I understand and that makes sense. But suddenly they just really focus on it. And and then they kind of leave it and go back to the usual stuff. But what I think redeems it is that at the end when they have the reunion, uh, you get to see her kind of come back. You know, mm-hmm. she gets out of that bed and she she gets to see the director that she had a crush on again. And yeah, she gives him the speech and and everything. And and so I think that I think maybe that justifies it. That's the closest it's gonna have. Uh, it's gonna to get to having a, a big, uh, I guess, emotional arc or whatever. You know what I mean? Like yeah. with documentary, I understand you can't really like plan these things out. You're just shooting and kind of hoping that it all kind of comes together at the end. Especially when you already are missing the the vital part of how the show ended. Mm-hmm. You have to find closure in some other way. So for them to set up the fact that there's this this beloved wrestler who was kind of the star of the show. And then she's the one that's had probably like the worst fate out of all of them, at least out of the ones we see. And then to give her a happy ending at the end of sorts, yeah. Then that, I guess, that kind of works. That's kind of why I was telling you you should probably never watch another pro wrestling documentary because by most standards you would be like, oh man, that glow documentary is like the feel good story of the century <laughs> compared to these <laughs> other ones. Um, but yeah, I can see that it is kind of. I feel like, unfortunately, with how much I know about wrestling in general and just how many documentaries about it I've watched, I feel like I've kind of become numb to that. But I, watching it this time around, I could especially see that point of view because it's very poppy and vibrant and everything's like great. And then it just kind of they start talking about how big of a star she was, and then it's just boom. It's like shots of her and just like distress and really ill and whatnot. And it's and they 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 build up to reveal too. It's just so because you know first. The first time you see her in, in present day, mm-hmm. you're like, okay, they're shooting her. She's in a she's clearly in a hospital bed, but you don't know how bad it is. And it's like, okay, are they just shooting her here because 
that's when she was available. She just like the only time that they could do an interview with her was when she was having a procedure done or something, yeah. right? And then, but then then they have like another reveal shot where they like go further back and you realize it's a nursing home, mm-hmm. and then they have another shot where like she's somebody from her family, I guess, is holding her hand and she's in a lot of pain. Yeah, like okay, like shit got dark. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. And then, like you said, with Matilda the Hun, come to find out that she's in a wheelchair also. She looks to have some mobility, but it's uh, right. basically because her balance is all fucked up because she had to have a couple toes amputated and whatnot. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the... And um, Lisa Moretti, Tina Ferrari, Ivory of WWF fame, she talks about basically the the wrestling business like she has a love hate thing with it because too many people get injured and die too young so she hates it but she also loves everyone that she's met being involved in it um also an interesting part of that too with the injuries and everything um now mount fiji she looked from looks of it too she was probably in her 40s when glow was actually happening she looked to be a bit older and she had like yeah i guess older than average yeah and uh Matilda the Hun continued wrestling afterwards, just doing the indie circuit. But the other girls involved, with the exception, again, of uh, Ivory, just led life after that, which is one of the things that, having watched so many wrestling documentaries, I find so refreshing is that someone can just kind of move on from it. They just survived. Yeah. but And also, they're all in, like, really good health as well, except for Hollywood, who had, like, tons of plastic surgery done. The one in the blue, <laughs> the one that neck. had the, the Playboy yeah, side yeah, by yeah. Hugh Hefner. That's right. Um, but with that being said, there's also a, a lot of interesting discussions in that as well. And I kind of turn to you like, well, these are things you can't say without being labeled as a sexist, but they're 100 percent true. And I'm not trying to say that to be catty or you know PC. It's like in on wrestling Twitter today, if you say these things, you're ostrich sized. Of um, she talks about how women's bodies aren't built for pro wrestling. Um, how they're not supposed to be taking like bumps and bruises and things like that. And then also Mondo Guerrero talks about too, a lot of the problem with uh, women learning to wrestle is their bodies are so frail that like their natural instinct kicks in and they don't, the way they slap out is so much more hazardous to their health. And um, not that's as- what he's talking about when they show the footage of the, the arm breaking, right? Yeah. And the- he says they, they try to, they don't let the move happen to them. They try to control the move, which obviously is not the case for all women's wrestlers everywhere. And that's not, I'm not trying to speak for the gender in general, but um, biggest example right now is this wrestler named Sasha Banks, who I've been a fan of. You follow me on social media. You probably see me post about her, but um, she's 115 pound little tiny thing. I mean, she's very talented and her willingness uh, or desire rather to do crazy shit is admirable but she keeps getting injured because, you know, she's doing these things that these 250 pound men are doing. The body's not like the the biggest example is Mick Foley. I remember Brian Alvarez saying he's a 300 pound fat ass. Like the reason he could take these moves is because he's got a big fat ass to block, like to absorb it. And she's a tiny girl that's going to break her back. And in some of the situations like that, now I'm not saying that necessarily that's what contributed to Mount Fiji's circumstances, but especially when they're talking about the other girls getting injured and things like that. And Matilda, the hun, the breakdown of her body and everything. Um, it's definitely something interesting to factor in. And I'm glad that the documentary doesn't shy away from that because 
you can't present that as something on equal footing when it's you know not factually correct. Right. Yeah. If if they hadn't like addressed it, it would be that would have been dishonest if they had just painted the yeah. show as something that was just like, oh, you know, it was really cool mm-hmm. and uh, it was a little scary at times. But then now, you know, we're all, you know, we just look back on it fondly and life goes on. And it's like, no, there was actually consequences. Well, that and also and if they tried to present it as like these girls weren't getting hurt because they were, you know, 120 pound frail humans like that. Would right. Be but also, I well. mean, the way the way at least the way I took it, the way the documentary presented it. It just seemed like it was such a it was run in such a haphazard way. Oh yeah, to, it was carny so, as fuck. Right. Yeah. It, it's not as if they were getting like the best training. Or, oh, yeah. So of That's course, fair it, too, yeah. I mean, it could be guys doing the the wrestling and they would get hurt and they would be fucked up today too. You know, they, oh, it, the guys it, are a lot dumber. It wouldn't be broken arms. <laughs> they would have like their fucking teeth caved in. And shit. They would be dead. It would be just yeah. a bunch of uh, old footage interviews in the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from nineteen eighty nine. Um, Overall, I thought the presentation of it proved kind of interesting, almost difficult to do a documentary with our little shtick. Um, as far as everything goes, though, it tells a clear narrative um, that is kind of easy for us to poke and prod at. Like I try to think of other documentaries. Like if we tried to do Man on Wire, it'd be really hard to try to drag that out because <laughs> our whole narrative would be like, he's an idiot. <laughs> like With this, it's like there's enough of a story to come around. Yeah, and I think that it's it was a lot more glaring this time around about there's not the clear-cut reason as to why it folded, which is kind of troublesome. It kind of leaves you... They do a good enough job of wrapping it up, because I feel like the ending, like I told you, there are very, very, very few pro wrestling documentaries with a happy ending. In this. Now, can you imagine, what would have happened to this movie if, uh, who was it, Little Egypt, right? That's yeah. The, yeah, if she hadn't decided to do a reunion. Oh, yeah. And then they were fucked because it's like, well, we have no ending. And then Chris Benoit killed his family. <laughs> Good night. And then the 90s happened. <laughs> um, I feel like, though, kind of the things I've mentioned, I don't know. It, it's kind of difficult. Um, I feel like you could make a documentary talking about all these things Glow did before other promotions like factor them in is just normal and things they don't get credit for doing first. Now I'm not saying that fucking we wouldn't have WrestleMania if it wasn't for glow, but there are little things that they did that were clearly lifted and used by bigger promotions in later years. Um, but because it was viewed as such a niche freak show at the same time, there are so many documentaries, not just in wrestling, but just in general that the story is they didn't get their due that or you know they don't get their proper respect they did it first so i appreciate that that wasn't the stance they tried to take at the same time i'm not really sure if they were trying to say much outside of hey this was this thing that happened and it was fun for these people and yeah it happened and uh you know yeah i get it's not yeah i really why did they make this movie right that would be the question and Mm -hmm. i guess i guess i mean it's definitely a story worth telling and yeah. especially if, like you said, uh, a lot of people just kind of ignore it or are just not aware of it. Um, but as far as revealing the going-ons of uh, the wrestling industry, I mean, it's not telling you anything new, right? As far as... No. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's like, okay, so the difference is it happened to women in this case, but 
but everything else that uh, there's no big revelation. So in that sense, I guess it's just like more of a celebration of the fact that, you know, this thing happened for four years. And... Well, and that's the thing too, that's probably for the best that it doesn't <clears throat> delve too deep into the, the wrestling biz in that, because uh, this was meant for audiences that didn't fucking know everything about wrestling. Like I do like, yeah, dude. Now I'm I'm not, I'm stuck on this because it's like they they really they can say see the that, wheels spinning in your head. Yeah, no, because I'm thinking like the 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 reunion party at the end that is the happiest accident, you know, because it they say that Little Egypt is inspired to the reunion because of the documentary, and uh, they had in the movie would have been like 50 minutes long, right? And and but it's also it would have felt just so weird. Mm-hmm. Because again, they don't have the answers to the question, the one question that they're posing. Uh, so that's because they have a reunion. Then the movie plays as this celebration of their friendship and their journeys. And now it's like, oh, and now we're all still alive and together and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but Thank God, we are all still alive. Yeah, we survived the men. <laughs> uh, it would be a different documentary if the. Like, if the party had been planned ahead of time, like, they knew that there was going to be this reunion party for GLOW, and so they decide to make a documentary about it. But then you have the party as a centerpiece, and you mm-hmm. build up to it. That's, I mean, that would make it different. You know, that would yeah. change the approach and all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, that's 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 crazy. You know, that somebody would just decide to launch themselves into doing a documentary and say, okay, well, let's see how many of these uh, wrestlers I can contact, how many of the people involved in it. And just see what happens. Well, That's like, I, I can't, I, I guess you have to be really brave to be a documentarian. <laughs> and just jump out there and, and kind of hope that it all comes together. Yeah, it seems to be this guy's MO, though, the Brett Whitcomb. Because like I said, it doesn't look like he has much interest in doing anything else outside of documentaries. Um, yeah, it, it was, but you're right. I mean, it does tie everything up because there is that retrospective piece before it goes into the reunion. So it probably just would have been like a sixty minute movie if it hadn't been right. for that. But yeah, that definitely puts it it puts it over the top as it it leaves you with a better sense of completion than mm-hmm. if it hadn't happened. Um and I do fucking love the quote it ends on um when Tina Ferrari No, that that's after the credits. <laughs> yeah. That that is an awesome like bonus <laughs> afterwards. After all the rapping and shit they did. Um Tina Ferrari says she has the original glow crown. Oh yeah, she's yeah, yeah. That's she's really like, good. This is like us. It's a bit battered and a bit, you know, beat up, but it still sparkles. It's like you can just tell Whitcomb was behind the camera. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we got it. <laughs> um, out of all the documentaries that were eligible, and the backyard was the other one, the one on backyard wrestling. I think you, as far as what I know about you as a film fan, I think you probably got the most out of this one. I do recommend it just some point in your life. I think it kind of comes in and out of Netflix. If you ever get the chance to watch Beyond the Mat, I recommend doing so. It's the closest thing to a legitimate documentary being made about the pro wrestling industry in general that there's ever been. Um, that doesn't have you know Vince McMahon's finger in the pie, so. Uh, it is vastly, infinitely more uh, depressing than this is. Oh, so. that sounds like like a keeper. <laughs> yeah, oh. <laughs> uh, that's you gotta have thick skin to like this industry, Julio. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I guess it took me what two years to watch Unfriended after you recommended it. So it oh, might take me mo- another two years to watch uh, Beyond the Mat. Beyond the Mat. Uh, it has me in twenty nineteen 
what I thought of it. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, you're not going to enjoy Beyond the Mat near as much as Unfriended, because Unfriended is a great movie. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it, though. Yeah, yeah, it was it was good. It was, uh, I mean, I, I wasn't expecting it to be bad, especially because you told me it was good, and Eddie mm-hmm. had mentioned that he liked it, and uh, I guess it was one of those things where, like, I... I had my phone out, and I was like, you know, it's going to be like a horror movie, and it's going to be fun, but I'm going to be able to, like, play with my phone while it's going on. And then, like, five minutes in, I was like, oh, no, I have to pay attention, because there's a lot of, like, texts and shit going on. Yeah. And uh, it, and then I didn't mind, because it was just so interesting. It just kept my attention the entire time. It was, it was great. Yeah, I saw it in the theater. I think there were two other people, and I might have been the only person in the theater. I went on, like, a Wednesday to the last showing, just at the Pencilltown down the street, and Took a flask of whiskey and just got blasted watching it. And I remember clapping when it was over. I was like, yeah. Uh, But all right. So it is Wednesday the 23rd. Or excuse me, the 22nd. About to be the 23rd. Um, I will have this up a week from right now. Because I'm leaving next Thursday to go to Orlando, Florida for WrestleMania 33. So I will be listening. I'll upload this the night before. Probably be listening to this in the air. Heading out. Um so I'm going to leave you with one question. Or we'll exit on this question. <laughs> Was this a better movie than Ready to Rumble? Oh, wow. You actually have to think about it? No, of course okay. not. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Jesus Christ, man. You, now, you got it for Scott Conn bad. Find me, find me a documentary about the making of Ready to Rumble, and that might be the best of both worlds. If this podcast ever takes off, we may have to use... The money we make off it to fund the Ready to Rumble documentary. I'll just go. We'll find uh, Whitcomb and be like, okay, we'll just give you the money and you do it. Yes. Just go. You take the jump and find Scott Kahn, David Arquette. Let, let us just be Oliver there. Platt. We just Sit them all down in a room and just go, what happened? <laughs> Sponsored by The Contrarians. <laughs> the Contrarians present. Yeah. <laughs> A Nicholas Windig Rafen film. <laughs> all right, guys, you know where to reach us. That'll be all in the opening and outro. Um, as always, the festive years. Um, not sure if their music will be on here, but much like the two-parter we're working on currently, we want to make sure we always give them a plug. So the festive years are album Don't Let Me Use You and our opening track being Our Last Stand, closing track being Summer of 99, iTunes, Bandcamp, all that good stuff. Um. Anything else we need to plug on this one? That's it. No plugs on this one. Okay. Aggressive. All right. So that was Glow. This is The Contrarians. We are right. You are wrong. Enjoy WrestleMania 33. Take care. Love each other. <laughs>